Do I need a life coach? You're listening to Episode 7 with Rhiannon Bush. Welcome to the Do I Need a Life Coach podcast. We're here to discuss the ins and outs of the life coaching industry and give you tools to use to see for yourself. I'm your host, Rhiannon Bush, mother, management consultant, and a passionate, certified life coach. Well, hello, my friends. How are you? I am currently sitting in my dad's office (laughs) and it's pouring with rain and I have two loads of washing on the clothesline currently getting soaked and I just can't bring myself to go out in the rain and get them all. I've had a really busy morning uh, filming for Liquid Learning's Icon, really exciting opportunity. I love doing that that stuff uh, where I got to talk about fostering two-way communication which will hopefully help businesses and business leaders really maximise their ability to communicate and upskill their communication to, yeah, create better culture and great psychological safety. So that's been my morning. Absolutely fun. Absolutely awesome. And I will have to go and get the washing in very, very soon and hang it up inside all over again, which I find highly inefficient. But anyway, there we go. Today I want to talk to you about the way we see the world, the way you see the world. Because one of the biggest things that I find breaks down communication where we get defensive and our barriers come up and the way that we struggle to communicate is actually when we can't see the other person's point of view and even more than that, when we're not willing to listen. I remember having a few girlfriends after I'd given birth to my two beautiful children. Um, I did hypnobirthing, which has another name of calm birthing. I think they're very similar. Um, But I was absolutely petrified of doing that. And I remember saying to myself, no, I really, you know, need to just be loaded up with all the drugs. Just give me all the drugs. That's how I'm going to do it. And then I went and did hypnobirthing. And I really changed my mind and I thought, no, actually I want to listen to my body and I want to take this as an opportunity to really drop in and and do this thing, you know, do this as naturally as I can. And while I really wanted to remain open to, well, if I need to take pain medication, then I will and I'll ask for it and I'm very open to that, um, I realised when I actually was in labour how attached to my birthing plan I had become please understand that however you choose and want to give birth is entirely up to you your body your baby entirely your choice and I don't have any stigmas associated with doing it whichever way you want to this was just my personal preference this is how I wanted to go through that process and for my birth I was not able to do it completely naturally and for my second I'm really fortunate in the way that I was so you know however it works it works you don't really get to say at the end of the day I don't think (laughs) as much as I wanted to control all of that Um, but the reason I want to discuss it was because I had some girlfriends who were really rolling their eyes at me and to the point where I didn't feel like I could even talk about hypnobirthing. I couldn't even discuss it. I couldn't even bring it up without feeling like I was being judged or shut down. 
and that really wasn't a pleasant experience and it never is. Um, I've also had situations where in working environments I've been shut down and put in a corner and it wasn't until my last boss, actually Graham, who really empowered me and valued my opinion, um, kind of showed me that I have an opinion that's worth expressing uh, and that I'm not silly or weak and other ways that I have felt in the past when other people have spoken to me in a way that's felt like it shut me down. Um, A lot of that has to do with the corporate hierarchy in terms of my positions and until I was a bit older and in a more experienced role and paid accordingly did I really feel like I stepped into that power where I could express an opinion and not care so much about the fallout or how it looked when I was able to voice that opinion, um, which was a really, really empowering process and I guess one that many, many people go through. But today I really want to talk about, you know, when people aren't willing to listen, but also the way that you view the world and why that creates such a disconnect. So my ideal outcome from this podcast is really for you to take away some pointers on how to educate people in how to communicate with you better, to have some courage around you speaking up and speaking your truth a little bit more and not caring so much about what other people are thinking and just to check in with yourself to calibrate how you're feeling about the way you're communicating and how empowered you are to speak out about what you truly want and why that may be. One of the things I've experienced a lot is when people don't agree with you but won't even hear you out so it's not like they won't even listen to you but they actively will shut you down is when they are super fearful of your opinions being different to theirs to the point where they don't even want to hear what you have to say. So it's a really, really awkward (laughs) thing to do. And as I've gotten older, I have more actively chosen to disengage with that type of behavior instead of actively trying to prove a point. And I don't know whether I am happy about that or not. It's something that I consider quite a bit. But I do find when I actively try to turn somebody's opinion around that blatantly will not listen, it exhausts me. And I do stop and question, well, what's the point of this? Why am I even bothering to engage? I really don't have a problem with arguing. I quite enjoy debating and arguing, but I also enjoy hearing things from different perspectives and different people's viewpoints. Whereas I know other people, especially ones that I've experienced in the past, have shut me down. I remember particularly a work environment where I had a superior who just wouldn't give me the time of day. We were either talking about work or nothing and anything that I did say, I could almost feel their eyes roll even if visibly I couldn't see it. They just didn't care for my opinions about a lot of things and it didn't fare well to engage me for productivity and staffing so it really wasn't a smart move on their part um, as they were trying to really get the most out of me from a professional perspective as they could Um, but in saying that it was their way and I conformed in that role for as long as I could until I could find a better opportunity and one where I felt a little bit more energetically centered and able to perform at a level that 
I wanted to, but I was also more enthralled in the role because I felt like I was a good cultural fit. And really that's what it comes down to. So when we grow up, we are indoctrinated from a very, very young age on our values and our beliefs and the way we see the world. And that is a lot to do with our parents. Unfortunately or fortunately, we are very much sponges when we're children. So we watch our parents and that's who we take most of our lessons from. It actually, I don't think, comes down to us being told things. It's not like a school scenario where you're sitting in a classroom and they teach you. You learn it through observation and then through modelling. So we see the example that is set for us by our parents and we tend to follow in those footsteps until we grow up and our prefrontal cortex is developed enough to help us make our own decisions and start to break away from the mould that we grew up in originally so our prefrontal cortex in our brain again I'll do more on neuroscience in future podcasts because it is very much an acquired taste for some people I love it but not everyone does Um, our prefrontal cortex which is our adult brain our parent brain in our our head we've got our prefrontal cortex as part of our neocortex and then we've got our cerebellum which is our animal brain which is our fight or flight response and is very much about like I'm going to do as least amount of possible to conserve energy for emergencies uh, and is very very simplistic in its functioning then you know once our prefrontal cortex develops which isn't until 25 we are somewhat operating at the discretion of our conditioning and the way that we were raised. So the beauty about getting into your late 20s is that you can start to identify things that you want, things that you don't want, and you get to start to really step into who you are in the world and how you want to live your life and the legacy you want to leave and all of that kind of thing. And you really get to start to operate independently, which is really, really fun and really, really exciting. During our younger years, all of those filters that we take information in through are our senses. So we all know about those, you know, our sight, our hearing, our smell, our taste, our touch. And we've also got another one which is called our audio digital functioning, which is sort of the language of business. So it's very much about logic, analysis, pros, cons, um, really our sort of sensibility around information and processing information. Kinesthetic is obviously how we touch and feel things, um, our visual elements. So when we go to classrooms, adult education, all that sort of stuff, even in like physical classrooms for for kids, um, you will see very visual cues. You will see very kinesthetic cues, um, hearing in terms of audio, music, sounds, not so much of the, the taste and the smell <laughs> unless you're, you know, a chef or you're going to be a sommelier or a perfume person. You know, they, they're very, very specific kinds of sensory intakes where we are going to become a chef for our taste and our gustorial modalities. And then we've got our olfactory, which is our sense of smell. But basically the moral of the story is that we take in all this information through all of our senses and then we learn to process it. 
When we learn to process that information, we then learn how we prefer to express ourselves and express information. So you'll see me go into a shop and I will literally touch everything. I don't love online shopping because I like to actually feel the fabrics before I even look at buying them, let alone trying them on. My partner is a real foodie and absolutely loves to experiment with flavors in the kitchen. I love to eat good food, but I'm not really very chefy. I don't like to cook food. Other people are visual. Like you can look at someone who's visual and they are usually dressed immaculately, head to toe. They look sensational. So basically we all process information in different ways. And then we grow and we learn and then we express it. And we find as we get older that that's how we learn best. So for me, I love audiobooks. I will always listen to a book over reading a book. When I read a book, I tend to fall asleep. But when I am listening to it, if I really enjoy it, I will typically then buy the physical book as well. So I've got the audio and then I've got the physical and then I'll use the physical to actually mark up things to reference back to. Uh, and then the audiobook is what I listen to and I can remember where I am at the time I listened to something and learnt something and it just means that I can retain that information a lot better. Why all this is important is because when we process information, we process it even very differently from our siblings. I don't know if you've got siblings or, you know, if you do, which most people I'm assuming would, when you experience an event, you may remember that event very, very differently to how your sibling remembers it. For instance, I remember when I was 16 years old. So I was in my school uniform and I was walking down the hallway to my bedroom after dinner and it was just a typical school night. And I remember my brother walked out of his room and I had just said something like, oh, hey, how's it going? And I remember for about an hour we stood in that hallway and we talked and it was an absolute pivotal shift in our relationship it changed everything for me because he actually finally opened up about some things that were going on for him that I had no idea about. And I remember that conversation being a huge catalyst for change for the two of us. We were always very close, but we did fight a lot and that was a lot of my fault. Um, I was a bit picky. <laughs> I would pick on him. Um, and yeah, I just remember that event very, very clearly. But if you asked him, he would probably recall it very differently. I don't know if you've ever all been sitting around the table with your family or your friends and you've remembered an event and you've told a story about it. And then another person who was there just turns around and goes, that's not how it happened. What are you talking about? And you have a big argument because you're sure you're right and they are sure they are right and nothing works. <laughs> it's just like you don't know how those wires got so crossed. So our memories are a completely sort of separate thing to the way that we intake and then express information and communicate. But our memories are fascinating in the way that they will piece together information, even if it's not true. Again, total side note for a later podcast. But the way we interpret information and the way that we see the world that's developed from a really, really young age has everything to do with the way that we can stand and listen to somebody else express their opinions without getting defensive and by seeing that it's actually just a different point of view. It enables us to remain open and to remain curious about what they may be experiencing or how they came to that opinion when we understand how we form our own opinions. 
When we don't understand how our opinions are formed, how our values and our beliefs have come to exist within us, it's really easy to be black and white about things. I remember in high school, I was very black and white. I was very pro-capital punishment and very black and white. The world didn't come in shades of grey. It was right or it was wrong. And I was very much a rule follower. And what I then didn't account for and I couldn't understand was this sort of subtle game playing that happens in every environment that you're in. And so fair was fair and unfair was unfair and it kept me very, very stagnant until I learnt about modelling in my imprint phase and my prefrontal cortex. I didn't understand that opinions and values and beliefs are formed from a very, very young age and while you have every ability to change them until you know that that's how they've formed in you and until you can dress which ones yours are, it's really hard to understand or work towards changing them if you choose to. So when you're communicating with someone to add that extra layer again, when you have conversations, if you're conversing with someone who is very, very black and white and keeps shutting you down, typically it's because they haven't really stopped to consider that there are multiple opinions or a different approach. And even if it's a disrespectful way of communicating because they're not even willing to listen, sometimes you're just not going to be able to change somebody else. You've only got control over you. If they don't want to change, they're not going to. Where this is a problem in the workplace is if you have to work for somebody like that and you have to report into somebody who's not willing to listen, who's not willing to even take your opinion, then how do you start to break that down to communicate in an effective way? Firstly, if they are like that, my guess is that they are going to be very tasks and outcomes focused. They want the work done. They don't really want to know the opinions, the emotions, the process around it. They just want the result. So give them the result. Then try to get to know them better and differently through other means, through commonality, through bonding in after work drinks try to foster a relationship if this person triggers you and you find yourself getting very frustrated because you feel shut down and you're unable to express yourself appreciate that firstly this is the way that they see the world it has nothing to do with you personally or how you see the world it is just them exerting their power and actually isn't a reflection on how they feel about you or think about you and your opinions. So in a workplace setting, when it comes to communicating with somebody like this, it's really important to firstly understand and appreciate that it takes courage, especially if you've been shut down a few times or on a few different occasions, especially if that's happened publicly it's important to understand that feeling nervous to express your opinion is absolutely normal when that's the response that you've been gauging. It is absolutely on them, especially if they're your superior, to create a safe environment, one where people feel okay to express themselves and take risks and to foster a sense of engagement. So if they are not doing that, understand that firstly, it takes courage. Secondly, then it becomes about whether 
expressing yourself the next time is actually worth it, whether it's worthwhile. So if you're going to muster up that courage to engage and say something that puts you at risk of being shut down, is it worth your while to do so? If the answer is yes, then I do recommend planning ahead of time what it is that you want to say, which is hard because sometimes you're in a meeting and then you have this brain baby and you're like, oh, I need to express that. That's me anyway. I often have these moments of being like, oh, that's a really good idea. And then I say it uh, and then, you know, in the past, sometimes it hasn't fared very well. So it's understanding that when you speak, especially to somebody like that, that's going to shut you down to have a bit of pre-thought ahead of the idea. There's a TED Talk by Lovey AJ. I'm not sure if I've pronounced her last name okay, but it's a really quick TED Talk. It's absolutely awesome. And she's very much about speaking the truth and being that domino to have those really confronting and courageous conversations. And one of the things that she says, well, actually, she says she gives herself three points as a sense check. And I do recommend you following the same guidelines especially when dealing with somebody who's a little bit difficult or a little bit resistant to anything that you have to say the first is do you mean it so when you go to say something you work up that courage and you're like no I need to say this and I'm going to firstly do you mean it secondly can you defend it if push comes to shove if you get any comeback from it can you defend what it is that you've just said And the third thing that Dr. Lovey recommends is, did you say it with love? Here's the thing about dealing with somebody who is difficult to communicate with. You can't control them. You can't change them and you shouldn't invest your energy in trying. All you can do is you. And the best thing you can try to do is learn not to take it personally if you get any pushback, but to express yourself anyway. It will be a really wonderful lesson in expressing yourself in a meaningful and very articulate way and also really having your own back to mean it, defend it and say it with love which means you're going to be speaking your truth in accordance with your values and in a way that you would be happy to be spoken to as well. Take the lessons that not everybody will communicate with you in a way that you want to be communicated with. I learned this lesson hard and fast in a sales role that I had. I had requested somebody be brought on. I had hired her and I was training her and she would come at me with all sorts of questions and I didn't appreciate being interrupted in my day. I prefer to have a bank of questions and then sit down, dedicate really quality time to answering all of those questions, getting the clarity and then answering everything to go off and then do what needs to be done. In my inexperience at that stage of my career, I didn't have the foresight to communicate that effectively and it made it a really, really hard environment for her taught me some really great lessons about the way I communicate and about the way that I like to work. So what I'm saying is take the lessons here, take it as a challenge and take it in a lesson of detachment from it being a personal attack. This person's behavior has nothing to do with you. You haven't done anything to offend them. And if you have, it wouldn't probably take much anyway. 
So, do you mean it? Can you defend it? Did you say it with love? And at the very end of all of it, at the end of your work day, are you proud of the way that you held your head up and the way that you communicated? And would you do it if you could relive that exact moment or day all over again? Would you do it the same way? They are really, really great questions to ask yourself. And if there are lessons, write them down, make a note and then try again the following opportunity or the next day, depending on how much you need to liaise with this person. The worst thing that you can do is let it get to you. The worst thing you can do is make it personal. It's not. And if it is, they can't control you. You can't control them. So you've got to be true to you. And you've got to be happy and satisfied and proud of the way that you conduct yourself while still communicating effectively enough to perform in your role. Any questions, please reach out on my website because I'm really interested in helping anyone experiencing this. I have been there. I have experienced it. To be fair, I've probably also caused it and it took a lot of work for me to recognize that and to work to overcome that. So I'm really, really interested in any questions or anything anybody would like some help with. Um, Please feel free to reach out. And up until then, just imagine what it is that you would change if you could within the realms of your control. It's got to be within things that you can control. I'm going to go and get my washing in. I will see you next week. Have a great one. Bye for now. Before you go, I always find reviews really helpful when looking for new information or insights. If you found this podcast valuable, please take a minute to write a quick review about what you found most beneficial so that other people can benefit from your insights and have a listen as well. I would love that. Also, if there are any topics you want me to cover specifically about life coaching or the life coaching industry, visit rhiannonbush.com to contact me. Thanks for joining and I'll see you in the next episode of the Do I Need a Life Coach podcast.